Thank you for tuning into IoT Connect, where we're covering the most interesting topics, trends, and news around the Internet of Things. IoT Connect is brought to you by Teal, a wholly owned, patented, GSMA-certified eSIM platform that connects any IoT device to any network around the world. Now, I'm excited to welcome you all to this episode of IoT Connect. If you're like us and you're passionate about IoT, be sure to click that like button below and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a beat. Today, I'm excited to welcome Glenn Lurie to our show. Glenn is currently a partner at Stormbreaker Venture Group, serves on the board of Teal Communications, as well as being on the board of Avis and four other companies. Glenn was previously the president and CEO of AT&T Mobility and Consumer Operations. He has also served as the CEO and director at Synchronos Technologies and as the chairman emeritus at CTIA, the Wireless Association. Glenn was named as one of just 10 mobile game changers by Russell Reynolds Associates for his mobile first approach to developing innovative services that enhance the way people live. Glenn was named to the Global Telecom Business Power 100 multiple times, awarded Wireless Week's Telecom Leadership Award. Glenn also received his undergraduate degree right here in Seattle, Washington at Seattle Pacific University. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So, Glenn, I want to start by going back in time. Uh, when it comes to the Internet of Things or IoT, when you were leading AT&T Mobility, you were really there from the beginning. I'm curious to learn about the early days of IoT. How was this new emerging world of connected things viewed by one of the leading worldwide carriers? No, it's a great question. And now you're, you're calling me old, but I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. Yeah, I was there uh, from the beginning. In fact, it wasn't even called IoT. We actually named our group uh, in 2008 at AT&T at, at uh, the Emerging Devices Organization. And at that time, Rob, we, we just sat back. And I, a lot of credit goes to a lot of people. You know, Ralph De La Vega, who was CEO of the company at the time, running the mobility business, and Steve McGaw was head of strategy we just sat back and said, where's the world going? And, and one of the things that hit us uh, kind of between the eyes is that everything's going to be connected. Uh, at that time, virtually nothing was connected. And you're talking about, you know, the iPhone had just launched and, and the app store hadn't launched yet. It was launching in mid-08. And I think once we saw all of that, we saw where the, where the world was going. And whether you're talking about your car, your home, you know, every device in your life, we, we really... I think earlier than most saw that they're all going to be connected. And how do we do that? Um, and uh, it was hard. I mean, the early days, you know, making the business models work was really difficult. You know, putting a, you know, a, a, a uh, the silicon and everything into a device was very expensive. What were the business models going to be? Um, all things we had to learn. You know, we were, we were wirelessly enabling or trying to wirelessly enable about everything. One of the, the most exciting devices that we were a part of was the Kindle, a very early device that was connected and, and could be used all over the globe. But those are things that, that kind of happened over time. And obviously, we're talking many, many years later, we're seeing that this is happening. It's still probably not happening as fast as we thought it was. But uh, with companies like Teal and others that are innovating around the space, they're making it easier for these device manufacturers to bring these things to, to market. So at AT&T Mobility, you were, you were clearly bullish on this, but why were some other carriers maybe either bullish like AT&T or, or bearish on right. IoT? Well, I think, I think early on, it was hard. I mean, we didn't know what the business models were going to be. The one thing that, that I give Amazon a lot of credit for on the Kindles, they made it really simple. It was really easy. I could download a book from anywhere. It was simple. It was clean. 
uh, and, and it worked. Now, when you started talking about putting, uh, and I'll, I'll make fun of a few things we did, you put, start talking about wireless enabling a, a, a uh, picture frame, right? Then you say, well, why would you just put that on Wi-Fi? And then there was lots of reasons why we went down that path. Wirelessly enabling gaming devices, wirelessly enabling, obviously, we AT&T were in the car business very early uh, with BMW and Audi and others, wireless enabling vehicles, which was very difficult, uh, obviously very. So I think when it came down to it, some tried and didn't, didn't feel like they could actually make it uh, a viable growth engine for them. I, I give Ralph and... Stan and others that I worked with a lot of credit, they saw this and said, we've got to be the leader in this. Um, and uh, we got started very early, like I said, we had put a team in together in 08 and we ran hard. And, and you know, now it is a, it's a meaningful piece of revenue, but I think all carriers globally see this now and see where it's headed. Um, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of diligence to try to make those models work so that you actually can end up giving the customer something they want. Well, that's great. So when we think about, you know, carriers now getting on board with this new exciting mm -hmm. technology, what in your mind was that spark that got the, the leadership at these huge carriers to, to actually say, this is something we need to pursue? Yeah, I'd like to say that, you know, we pushed very hard. Like, again, remember, Rob, if you go way back, you know, this was called M to M, you know, machine to machine, and there were all mm -hmm. kinds of names for it. When we started AT&T talking about our, our gross and net ads in the IoT business, it caught everybody's attention, right? Because all of a sudden, it wasn't just about a, you know, a phone or a smartphone and bringing on new customers. It was about real numbers, real customers, and growth for us. And it forced others, I, I believe, back in the day to kind of step back and go, wait a second, what are they doing that we're not? You know, why aren't we, why aren't we competing in this space? Why aren't we growing with them? And so everybody kind of went down that same path. Um, I also think that, again, the cost of wirelessly enabling something, right, changed, right? You think about, I mean, right now I'm talking to you on my iPad. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to, to you know, be, uh, be very close to that very first iPad launch with, with Apple. And one of the key discussions was, well, can it be Wi-Fi only? And my response was, I think you need to have both, right? You need to give people the ability to have connectivity every place they want and when they want. And that was our focus. Um, and so we can go down the path of many devices uh, even today, but you know, it's, it's important. I don't know about you, but if I'm not connected, it's a problem. And that's why everything that I have is connected. This, this iPad is both obviously wirelessly enabled on AT&T and it's obviously also got Wi-Fi. but that's, what's really important to customers is that they don't have to think about it. We used to call it unconscious connectivity. The customer shouldn't have to think about it. Right. They should just know they're going to be connected all the time. I love that unconscious connectivity. And you mentioned yeah. the iPad. And I remember specifically waiting on the next version of the iPad when it first yeah. came out to get the one that was cellularly enabled specifically. Yeah. So I would stay connected, you know, everywhere. Uh, totally agree. I mean, look, and that was that was a, you know, a lot of conversation between uh, obviously us and Apple at that time it was very important to me. And I actually believe, I mean, you know, people say, I've seen you on YouTube making statements back in those days. I really still believe every device should be connected and should have the ability for the customer to decide on that connectivity versus the device not lacking the ability to do it. I couldn't agree more. And so when we think about this world of IoT that's now evolved, mm -hmm. right? And, and the way that, that devices connect to the internet has also evolved. 
And, you know, you think about cellular being one of the main forms of connectivity or backhaul for IoT mm -hmm. devices. And, you know, in to that end, you know, the world of SIM cards has rapidly been evolving too. And today the world of the Internet of, of Things has a massive need for multi-carrier offerings so that devices can, yeah, can, can stay reliably connected across borders all over the world. And when it comes to some of the alternatives that are out there, you know, we think of, you know, MVNO solutions or multi-SIM solutions or even some of the newer um, technologies like eSIM or iSIM. Mm -hmm. What are you most excited about? Look, I, I think you said it well, Rob. I'm, I'm most excited about having the ability to have a device connected, period. Okay. And, and then look, and obviously I'm a carrier guy. I was, you know, a carrier guy for 27 plus years. Um, I was obviously on the forefront of having discussions around eSIM, whether at GSMA or CTIA. And, and there was a lot of discussion. The key to eSIM is eSIM is, is critically important for our future, as iSIM will become as well. But it's about the rules around them and how we use eSIM. And, and the concept of having a quote-unquote credentialing platform that can make decisions. So the credentialing platform that's intelligent, that is, you know, you can prioritize and make decisions about what network that device needs to be on is going to be absolutely critical for IoT to continue to grow. I mean, talk about, I mean, the easiest one's connected car, right? You know, the key to connected car is, is, is safety, right? The key to connected car is having the ability, if there's an issue in that car, an accident, that you can go get those individuals help. Well, a car should never be off service, ever, right? And most cars today are a single carrier. That's a problem because those carriers, they, they do a great job, they spend a lot of CapEx, but there's still going to be places where there are dead spots. And so being intelligent, having an intelligent credentialing platform gives you that ability to not only use multiple carrier networks, it gives you the ability to use private networks, gives you the ability to use CBRS, gives you the ability to click to Wi-Fi, whatever the case may be, uh, and have the device manufacturer or the customer make those decisions. To me, that solves a huge, huge impediment that the IoT community has been trying to solve. That's fantastic. And you touched on the connected car. So I want to focus in there a little yeah. bit um, because you're currently one of the board members at Avis. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the Internet of Things, you know, cars, as you mentioned, play a huge role in, in that ecosystem of connected things. You know, what are some of the benefits you mentioned safety um, of the connected car um, that really you know, you know, depend on being reliably connected? Yeah. Time. Well, Rob, I mean, it's, it's, it depends on, on the lens, right? There's a whole host of things for the driver, right? The driver wants to be connected. The driver, I mean, look, we all want to be connected. We have the smartphone attached to our hands most of the time. And the ability for your car to work seamlessly with your smartphone. Um, you know, I used to say that uh, cars need to be smartphones with four wheels, right? That's what has to happen. So there's a whole host of things we know about, whether it's entertainment, safety, et cetera, et cetera directions, we can go all down many paths, right? There's also a huge opportunity for the car manufacturer, right? Now they have a connected car that they can see how it's performing. They can see when it's going to break, right? They can see all kinds of different things that allow them to be better. And then you throw in there the insurance companies who want to see how you're driving and, and rate you. I mean, I can go down number of paths, but for all that to work, for all that to be reasonable, it has to be connected all the time. Right. Um, I will tell you, you know, Avis budget utilizes the connected car to help run their operations better. 
to understand where the cars are, understand how many miles they've driven, understand when they need repair. And when you're running a fleet that's as big as Avis Budgets, those cars being connected is a huge advantage for their day-to-day business and how they operate uh, the overall Avis Budget fleet. So, and again, I, we can go into trucking and, and, you know, and, and we all see those way stations that, you know, I would argue someday won't need to be there, right? Because that truck, right, can be connected at all times and mm-hmm. have every bit of data about where it is, where it's going, how fast it's going, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so much that makes this important. And really, as you said earlier, it comes down to data. It comes down to having real-time data to make real-time decisions. So then digging a little deeper, how, how is Avis today or companies like Avis solving mm-hmm. problems associated with, you know, 3G network sunsetting mm-hmm. or, you know, think, thinking about having to take an entire fleet in to do a truck roll on, a, you know, antiquated SIM card seems like a huge lift. You know, how, how are, are companies like, like Avis or other fleet companies overcoming these challenges? Yeah, I think it's hard. I mean, look, this is part of, you know, one of the things you want to try and do is future-proof your device, right? And one of those ways is, yes, if it's 3G or 4G and when those sunset, another way is obviously having uh, the flexibility of an eSIM that can move to different networks depending on what care decisions are made. But I'll give you an example. You know, my daughter has, has, a, has an Audi. And she got a letter basically saying that, you know, on this date, her Audi will no longer longer be connected. It's a 3G device. And that carrier that was on was was sunsetting 3G. And that that's that's okay in the sense it's it's I get it because I'm in the the industry. But for a lot of people, that's pretty frustrating. Um, And as we know, the growth of wireless has been so massive that the sunsetting of networks will continue because of, the, of where we're going. So as much as you could possibly future-proof a device, you'd want to have in more of a credentialing platform eSIM in that device, right? So if a carrier, quote-unquote, sunsets, but the other two don't, you obviously can move that device, that vehicle, in this case, to another carrier. That doesn't mean you're going to have service forever, right? The other carriers need, need their spectrum, and they're going to harvest their spectrum for 5G, et cetera. But it gives you that flexibility to do the best you can for that end user. Um, and really, it's, it's a headache, right? It's, it's a headache for Audi to have to send those out and know that their devices, right, are, gonna, are not, no longer going to work. So I think we as an industry owe that to our end users. We as an industry owe to give them as much flexibility as we possibly can give them. And as you and I were talking about earlier, that's, that focuses around a credentialing platform, that focuses around trying to future-proof your device. So when we talk about future proofing, you know, we talked about network sunsets, 2G, 3G sunsets, mm-hmm. but what about network upgrades to 5G or even 6G in the future? You know, 5G really is set to disrupt IoT in a big way and with the yeah. promise of providing, you know, high speed transmission capabilities to existing as well as new IoT networks. Like what are some of the use cases that you're excited about um, that IoT will benefit the most from when you think of 5G? Yeah, you know, 5G is the first, and, I, and I, I've said this before, Rob, it's the first time that the focus of going to the next G wasn't just about speed and, and volume, <laughs> right? Every G before this was about, hey, faster and we need more, right? 5G was actually put together by 3GPP to be actually solve problems, and IoT was central to how they viewed the standards around 5G. So yes, you're right. It's monumental change. The biggest piece of that change for me, the exciting pieces is the latency, 
right? I mean, I, our, hey, 4G is fast. 4G is fantastic. And, and it's done a great job. But when you start thinking about just the, how low the latency is on 5G, all of a sudden there are other things you can do, right? There are other things you can, you know, you're now talking about remote surgeries, which I know was shown at uh, GSMA or CTIA a couple of years ago. And we start talking about uh, that connected car and different types of decisions the car can make with those low latencies. You talk about, I mean, I can go on and on. Um, and I, I, I give the industry a ton of credit. I mean, all three carriers are spending billions and billions of dollars. Um, they're also all very much bought in. I'm saying all three carriers in the United States, the ones overseas are too. But, you know, you think about the U.S. and they're all counting on IoT being a big part of the growth that's going to help them get a fair payback to those billions. And, uh, and I, I think 5G is going to change a lot of things. To your point, though, you know, trying to future proof, we can all debate how long 5G will be here. And then all of a sudden there'll be 6G and other things that are happening. But, you know, the, the appetite for data, the appetite for, for, for you know, multi gigabit broadband is, is not going away. It's only going up, which is giving, these, giving uh, the industry this ability to go make investments and, and look to that, that fair return for those companies. So let's narrow the focus a little bit more on 5G and, and talk about 5G private networks. How will private networks play a role in the 5G IoT ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, look, there's been a lot of discussion around you know, uh, private networks or private uh, 5G. I think it's a real thing. And this is why. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of uh, experiences people would like to have. And, and I think that the carriers are, are bought into this, as are the Ericsson's and the Nokia's and others. And the key to it is, is that you want to control your network. You want to have more ownership. So whether you're a massive Fortune 5 and you have campuses all over the world, you want an experience on your campus that you have more control of, which is why you might do private LTE or private 5G. Um, if you are, uh, you know, if you're a in the operations world and you have a depot where, where the trucks are coming in and out, right? A lot of the data coming off of the, of a truck or a car is so much that you're going to want to do that when you're not over the wide area wireless network, you're going to want to do that over a private network that you have more control of. And also from a cost perspective, let's just be, be honest. And so the key for this to happen and the key for this to be an important part of our future is they have to be able to work together. Right, you can't have to make somebody the unconscious connectivity thing. I can't not have this move to my private network on my campus and then move seamlessly back to the wide area wireless network when I walk off or drive off. That is going to be absolutely uh, imperative if we're ever going to see these networks take off. And again, that goes back to right credentialing platforms and the ability to pick and prioritize networks for your device when you need them. And if that I'll pick, you know, pick on a, that truck drives into the depot to drop off. It has to know it's in the depot. It has to know it needs to move over seamlessly to that private network. Then it knows to drop its data down inside of those servers there. And then off it goes again, back out to the wide area network. That's really what we have to get. That's a really great example. Um, so I've got a, a more general question. And, and Glenn, you, you have led many organizations, huge organizations, um, for all the leaders, the pioneers out there that want to leave a mark on this world, what is a good piece of advice that you can share with them? Uh, it's a great question, Rob. I'd say this, you know, I, I, I like to focus on facts. 
I told the story earlier uh, about uh, us deciding to launch the emerging devices business. And we did that with facts. We went and used a third party. They, they did a bunch of research around where, what, when was going to be uh, wirelessly enabled. We looked at those facts. We sat back and made a very, very solid business decision. And, oh, gosh, it seems like, you know, in 2008 to launch this group. Um, I think the, the I worked with a number of incredible people and the best conversations, the best decisions we made were based on facts. Now, you didn't know everything, but we, you know, people ask me all the time, you guys did the deal with Apple. Did you know how big iPhone was going to be? If I said yes, that wouldn't be true. I mean, I, I knew I, I we thought it was going to be big, but obviously it changed the world. And I'd say the same thing when it comes to the IoT business. So as a leader out there, you've got to gather your facts. And, and stick to your guns. And sometimes you have to be a little stubborn, right, to get things done. But ultimately, if you're going down the right uh, path, you continue to look at those facts, you continue to see how you're performing, you end up in a, in, a, in a very good place. Thank you for that. So let's let's talk about your current role as a partner at Stormbreaker Venture Group. What are some of the up and coming technologies or business ideas that, that get you really excited? You know, look, I've had a, I've, you know, I've been with Stormbreaker now about a year and a half. I was previously, uh, I helped them out uh, from a standpoint when I was still uh, in a CEO role and, and they're just incredible people. Uh, I mean, wonderful human beings that our focus is really around our, our founders, uh, our CEOs, our customers. We view it the opposite of what many other VC firms view. So, uh, it's been just uh, incredible to work with the 40 plus companies that we've invested in. Uh, very proud of how they've done. But I would tell you, uh, we're seeing kind of interesting trends. First of all, the market's changed. We all know that, right? The global unrest has, uh, has changed the whole idea of, of companies where they are, venture. We're still very steadfast that a great company is a great company. A great founder is a great founder. And we still are, are, are uh, in the process of making investments. But we spend a lot of our time, obviously, I sort of limp telco. So <laughs> that's just kind of where I come from. Uh, but we, you know, a lot of software uh, as a service companies, we're seeing a lot of marketplaces. Um, we're seeing things that are, in a sense, just have the ability to disrupt and incredibly simple ideas. I mean, that's one of the things I think that people I don't think realize is a lot of these things that we've seen happen over the last 10, 15 years has allowed us to use wireless, has allowed us to use the app store, has allowed us to do and use these wonderful new things um, and, and to have these companies come in and say, look, I think I can just disrupt this much to the left or to the right. Um, and they've just done amazingly well. Uh, I also think we have a new environment with COVID obviously changing our world a bit. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm working today. I'm in Canada today working from here. Obviously, I have that ability. I know, Rob, you get an opportunity to work in the office or at home or when you're traveling. I think there's other aspects of COVID that actually uh, have, in a sense, been somewhat positive for the startup world. As people look at those, these opportunities, these abilities, areas of disruption. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, I, I, the crazy thing, even with the unrest, I, our, 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 the deals that we're seeing, the companies we're seeing, the founders we're seeing are amazing. I mean, just incredible people. Um, and uh, like I said, it's been a, it's been really an eye opener for me and a lot of fun. There you have it. If someone wants to learn a little bit more about Stormbreaker Venture Group, the founders, the great companies, yeah. ideas out there, where can they learn more? Yeah, you just got to just go ahead and just uh, Google Stormbreaker. Uh, 
We are a, a VC firm and we're out of San Francisco. And uh, like I said, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to get to work with my partners there. Uh, our managing partner, Saeed, was a former uh, banker in Silicon Valley. These are very smart folks. I'm, you know, I, I joke around that I'm the one who's learning, right? I spent most of my career in, in large companies uh, and I've been the one that's just been reading and learning and, and understanding, but having a, a, a ball with our founders and, and working with the companies and actually also doing a lot of looking at new deals and, and things on the table. And there's a, there's a ton of fresh ideas out there. Well, there you have it. If you're like us and you're enthusiastic about IoT, be sure to like this video and click that subscribe button below. Be sure to listen to future episodes of IoT Connect and learn more about Teal at tealcom.io. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And thank you, Glenn, for being on our show today. Rob, my pleasure. Uh, glad glad that, uh, to, to be here. And thank you for having me.